that I have in mind learning today. Lelui um, Nishmat, Jackie Batensky, Yakova Ariela, Masaba Baba. <coughs> Very lovely, wonderful alum. Passed away yesterday. On Lullabias taking place now. I guess they're waiting for relatives. So, Neshama should have an Aliyah. She had a lot of Yisurim. She was sick for a long time. And, uh, hey, um, without further ado, we'll get into um, Tarek. Hi, Rivka. I see you joined. So we're going to screen share. And we'll look first, as we usually do, at this particular version of Shoftim chapter 14. <coughs> You'll notice I always try to, to show you the, the breakup of the parak and how the, the Tanakh sets it up. As you see, this parak is one unit. I have a little bit of uh, annoying cough, so you'll have to forgive me. So, okay. So this shows you that this is all one story. There's no, there's absolutely no pauses at all. But I do, I do uh, like to break up the story anyway. And uh, we're going to actually meet Shimshon. Chapter 13 was kind of by way of introduction. And it's this beautiful transcendent story of the angel appearing to Shimshon's mother, Hatzelplonit, and to her, um, and her husband, she brings him along, Manoah, and they're told that they're going to have this miracle child and uh, she has been barren until now. It's just tremendously exciting, thrilling news for them. And, you know, you just like, it's so beautiful. He's going to be a Nazir, a very special, uh, select kind of individual. And although she doesn't tell, his mother doesn't tell Manoach, but she's told that he's going to begin to save the Jews from the Philistines. At the beginning of chapter 13, oh, let's go back for one minute. We see, first thing, So you know that we have the cycle of the judges, right? sin, they sin, the same kind of evil stuff and, and um, idolatry. And Hashem punishes them through their enemies. So we're following our following our, our usual cycle in the judges, but this is going to be a very different story. So they're given over to the Philistines for 40 years. That's what we find out in chapter 13. And in chapter 14, we're going to meet Shimshon and see how he's going to begin to save the Jewish people from the Philistines. <clears throat> So I'm going to have to take all these photos and put them on my room.
Oh, I have one still left here. Excuse me one second, because I really got to get them away from me. Can't close the door to the study because there's a box of books in front of it. <laughs> I can't lift these books, and we ran out of bookcases. So, okay. Anyway, what we have to know about this whole story is that we are given in chapter thirteen the vision of this tremendous Sadik being born. That he's going to be a nazir. He's not going to drink any wine. He's going to be this tremendous level of kedusha. And at the end of chapter thirteen, we find that. God does begin to um, appear to him. He's animated by the Spirit of God, right? <clears throat> the Spirit of God came um, among, um, in him, in, inside him, right? Lefamo is a strange word, either. It, I, my favorite interpretation is that it's from Pa'amon, that it, it rang within him like a bell. So when we get to chapter 14, we're expecting to meet this incredibly spiritual, holy person and find out that he's doing incredibly wonderful things, saving Jewish people. And the reality um, is kind of different. He's, he's a different kind of judge. And oh, we have to... Um, go through the story and try to understand what we're being taught here and what we learn from Shimshon. <coughs> he does things that are strange, <clears throat> different, perhaps questionable. And, and yet, you know, we just finished Parshas Vayichi. And when Yaakov comes to bless Dan, Yaakov says, Yehi Dan nachash Don is going to be like a snake in the path, like a viper on the way. He's going to bite the heels of the horse, and the rider is going to fall backwards. This is a sort of allusion to the type of battle that Shimshon, who is from Don, is going to be fighting. Something different. It's not it's not a get out, it's not a hood, it's not, it's not gonna be a frontal battle. It's gonna be very different. And yet, Yaakov says, Yeshua's Hakibisi Hashem. And um, the mentor says that Yaakov, when he saw, he was given visions of what's going to be, when he saw Shimshon, he thought Shimshon was Mashiach. So there's a tremendous greatness to Shimshon, it's a com tremendous complexity. So let's look for a moment at the Rambam, we, met, we saw it last week, but we really have to understand the situation a little more. <coughs> we said that a Nazir has three prohibitions. He can't be involved with any grapes or wine products. He can't cut his hair and he can't be tamela mates. He can't uh, defile himself with a dead body. And we said that Shimshon, the first, the first Rambam I showed you last week, that Shimshon was not a regular Nazir. He didn't make the vow himself. He was separated by this angel. But his din was that he's not allowed wine, and he's not allowed haircuts, but he's allowed 
to be to to file himself with the dead, and that of course makes sense because you can't go around killing Plishtim if you can't be near dead bodies. It's an issue. Okay. Now the Rambam goes on, and we didn't look at this last time, but it, uh, <clears throat> in chapter fourteen we find that Shimshon um, meets the first of his three uh, Philistine women. So Delila that everyone's heard of, Delila is the, the third and the most famous, but it's not, but there's two others. So when we see Shimshon in chapter 14, interested in a Pelishti woman, so we start asking ourselves, like, what is going on here? Is he allowed to do this? Is he allowed to intermarry? <coughs> and the truth of the matter is, it's a very complex question. And um, certainly in the Torah, it says you can't marry, but there the question that the rabbis ask, is that referring to the seven nations that were in Canaan? And if that is so, if it's limited to the seven nations, then the Philistines are not one of the seven nations. So then are, are you allowed to marry Philistine? And in general, at the beginning of Sefer Shoptim, in, <coughs> in Perak Bed, if I'm not mistaken, it says that you're going to be living among them and you're going to marry with them. And, and it's definitely presented as a problem. So the Rambam goes into this discussion. This is Yudalit and Hilchus Isurebia, Parakid Gimel. He says, Do not imagine that Shimshon, the savior of Israel, or Shlomo, the king of Israel, who was called the friend of God, married women who were not Jewish while they were not Jewish. But the secret of the matter is this that the correct mitzvah is that when a, when a Geir or Giorit comes to convert, you check into him that perhaps they have some sort of ulterior motive. Maybe they want somehow they'll be uh, gain money from this, or they will gain power from this, or maybe they're afraid. And if it's a man, you check if he has a, uh, a Jewish girlfriend. And if it's a woman, if um, if she has a, a Jewish boyfriend. And if we don't find that there's any ulterior motive, then we tell them that it's a very difficult thing to be a Jew, as they used to say. And um, you don't really wanna do this. And if they insist, then you stop bothering them. That's of course the, we learn it's from Ruth, three times you try to dissuade them. And uh, Okay, so uh, then he continues and he says, because Shlomo and Shlomo and Shimshon do the same kind of thing, they convert these women and marry them. And I guess in today's world, we call this like a questionable conversion, not a, not a true, a full-fledged Orthodox conversion. And it's known that they didn't do this except for the marriage and it's not accepted and that we have to consider them as if they're not Jewish. Uh, but their end uh, shows you their beginning. You see what happens at the end and then you know what really happens. Actually, this, this, this question comes up also in Megillah Root, when we see that the two sons of Elimela marry um, uh, Root and Orpah. 
<coughs> and there's a lot of discussion about, you know, were they, did they convert them or not? And, you know, from the research that I've done, there's a lot of different opinions about all of these different uh, variations on Jewish men marrying non-Jewish women and do they convert them or not? And if you look at the case of Ruth and Arpa, it's very instructive because you have at the, at the moment of choice, Arpa rejects Judaism and Ruth embraces it, which tells you something, right? But when Machlon and Kilion, the two sons of Elimelech, when they married Arpa and Ruth, right? They probably did the same thing that Shimshon and Shlomo did. They did this conversion. But it's impossible to know, it's impossible to know the sincerity of the convert at that point in time. They say, yeah, I want to convert, I'm really sincere, and I really you know, want to do everything. And, and, and so, okay, so you go ahead with it. But unfortunately, sometimes, you know, the person is not sincere. In the case of Shimshon, it seems that he did convert her, and you'll see in the story how this plays out. But it's important to see how the, the halachic issues here. So we start off meeting Shimshon the first time after this buildup of this tremendous uh, holy spiritual person. Pasuk Aleph. Bayerit Shimshon Timnata. Bayari Shab Timnata Mibnot Pushtim. Now, Timnata, right? So it's variously written as Timnata or as Timna. So uh, it's the, the Ahe at the end is a directional. So it could be you went down to Timna, or it could be the place was actually called Timnata. Now, if you look on the map, you'll see that they're very, very, oh, where's the map? Very, very close. So Shimshon was born between Sarah and Eshtaol and Sarah. And you see that due west is Timna. So this whole area you see on this map, this whole area is Eretz Pushtim. So Timna is on the border, sort of. It seems like it might have been a Jewish town at some time, but now it's a Pushti town. And he goes down to Timna. Now, if you look at the geography of it, he's not actually going down, he's going west. And the Chazal have a whole discussion of this because if you look at Yehuda back in Parshas Vayeshev, it says that he went up to Timna. So it could be that they went from different directions, one went up and one went down, but the Chazal say that this is a spiritual going up. When Shimsho goes to Timna, he's going down. When Yehuda goes to Timna, eventually he will be grateful. And obviously he, he meets Tamar and all this, but eventually his greatness is revealed through that incident. But here we have a problem. Shimshon goes down to Timna. Now watch this. And he sees a woman in Timna from the daughters of the Philistines. He sees a woman. And he goes up and he goes to his mother and his father. I have seen a woman in Timna from the daughters of the Philistines. And now take her for me for a wife. Oh, man. Oh, man. They must have been shocked, horrified. Can you imagine? Their miracle baby boy grows up and says, I saw a good-looking pushy girl. I want to marry her. 
it's it's so disturbing when you think about it. This is a problem that Jewish parents have faced for centuries. But here, if you examine the, the language of the Pesukim, you see that it's it's first of all by Yered, which is symbolically not just a, a physical going down, but a spiritual going down. And he sees a woman. It doesn't say he didn't even talk to her. This was purely a physical attraction. That's what it seems to be. And, and then he says, I saw this girl and I want to marry her. Right? And of course, we have to figure this out, but let's let's go into the, the reaction of the parents. These two tzaddikim, you have to remember that Manoach and his wife, they're, they're great tzaddikim. And his father and mother said to him, The eternal cry of the Jewish parent. Can't you find a nice Jewish girl? What are you doing? And they first asked, which is interesting because we mentioned a few, few times in this year that they were kind of stuck on marrying within the tribe. So the, the taboo was broken in the time of Boaz. We talked about this, that you can marry from different tribes, but they first look for someone in the tribe because it made uh, the Indian name, the matters of Yerusha better. Can't you find a girl amongst your brothers or the whole nation? You know, there's 12 tribes out there. Can't you find a nice Jewish girl? How do you go to take a woman from the Philistines who are Ari Lim? Now, Ari Lim is uncircumcised. And coming from a Jew, this is a put down, right? We don't generally, we try not to like put other people down, but Ari Lim is like, oh, this is like so low. And it seems, you know, the, the that there must have been some understanding that Milo was not a bad thing because this is this, they're so shocked. They don't say the plishtim, the tmeim, the plishtim, the the enemy. They say the you want to marry someone who comes from an uncircumcised plishti. It's 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 perfectly horrifying to them. And plus the gimel continues by Yomashimshon Elaviv, O Takahli ki yashra beinai. I want her. Her? Take her for me? Because she is straight in my eyes. Now, <coughs> if you examine Pasad Gimel carefully, you'll see that um, he speaks first, Aviv, right? In, in Pasad Bet, Aviv Limo, he speaks to his father and to his mother. Pasad Gimel, they answer him by Yomelo. Um, so generally speaking, when you have um, in, in Hebrew, in the Tanakh, the, uh, more than one person speaks. So the first person gets the verb, like Az Yashir Moshe, Ubnei Israel. It's singular because it's Moshe, Ubnei Israel comes after. So Aviv is the one who gets the, 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 the full play here. The mother is sort of an add-on, right? Can you find a nice Jewish girl? And at the end, we see that Shimshon answers and he says, <coughs> Where did his mother go? 
And it's interesting because the function that we talk about this, right? Check the Barbernell. Barbernell says she was so upset, she had to leave the room. She couldn't even be there for this discussion. She was just horrified and she left. So the rest of the discussion was between him and Manoah. He says, uh, she's straight in my eyes. And Pusik Dalit gives us like a zinger, which is quite in intense. Pusik Dalit. And his father and mother didn't know that this came from God. Because he was looking for a pretext, um, a, a, a plan from the Philistines. And at that time, the Philistines ruled Israel. So it's interesting because this is the pay there, and you don't see it here. It's very interesting because I see that there is a stop in the text here, and it wasn't in this edition. Sorry. Uh, okay, so we, we have to, the pay indicates paragraphing, and that means and it's patuach, it's open at the end. So that, that uh, edition was a little bit off here. I'm not sure what that's about. But uh, we have to kind of figure out what's happening in Pasek Dalit. First of all, his mother is so upset she leaves the room. And he's talking to her father. She's he's Yashra. She's Yashar of She's straight in my eyes. And we have to figure this out because like what, what's going on here? There's this very, very uh, interesting note that the text is telling us. We, are, we don't have to read into this. The text is telling us straight up, this is all from God. You might have said, what is going on with this man, Shimshon? But the text is saying it's all from God. And he is looking for a pretext to fight the Philistines. And the pretext is going to get sued. So what's the connection between all this discussion of his marriage and the second half of Pasuk Dalit? At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. What's the connection? <coughs> so if we take a look here at Pasuk Bet, Ralbag says, he was trying to find a pretext, Toana, so that he could fight them and strike them. And therefore he chose to take a woman from the Philistines because in that way, he can get what he's looking for, this pretext. And the, the rabbi said that he actually converted her first. Now, if you look at Mitsuda Stavid in Pasuk Dalit, Mitsuda Stavid says, the Pushtim are ruling Israel. And now let's try to understand what would happen, okay, if Shimshon you know, came out as a leader in Israel, a judge in Israel, and he goes forward like a Gidon, like an Ehud, even like a Yiftach, and he goes out, he fights the Philistines. What would happen then, right? The Philistines would fight back, and then, you know, war has all kinds of consequences, and then most of them quite negative, and you would have a lot of casualties. But Shipshon is not a normal, uh, he's not a usual judge. He is that Nahash, he's the snake on the path. And he's going to attack in a different way. He's going to bite 
the heels of the horse so that the horse will throw the rider off. And how does this work? Mitsudas explains, right? If he struck them for no reason, they would think this is a Jewish attack, right? And we know this, we know this so well, because if any time a Jew does something, right, all the Jews are to blame. All the Jews are to blame. But now we have a different kind of warfare, right? If he would strike them in a straightforward fashion, they would say the Jews are starting up and they would take revenge. But now with this plot, right, they're going to say, well, you know, that's Shimshon. Not Shimshon the Jew, but Shimshon the strange character who happens to be Jewish. So what he's doing is he's working, today we call him as a, like a special agent, a spy. He's infiltrating the Philistine um, culture in order to accomplish his goal of messing things around with them. And if you think about it, what's the point of his being a Nazir? Why is he a Nazir? So there's a lot of explanations that are given for the Nazirists. So uh, one is that um, the Ralbag, the Ralbag says <coughs> he's going to be a very powerful human being, lots of testosterone. He's going to be super macho and he needs things to help him fight his more than usual macho-ness, okay? And their Byronel suggests that the wine, the whole issue with the wine is that they're going to be, he's going to be living a lot of his life amongst the Philistines who were hard drinkers and immoral people. And because he's not allowed to drink, he is separate from them in that way and he's able to avoid some of the pitfalls of being amongst them. What's the deal with the hair? The hair, their Bible suggests is actually a sign of mourning because the, the Jews are enslaved by the Philistines and he's not cutting his hair because he's in mourning. Thank you. Okay, so that's, in other words, it all comes to play, the fact that he's a Nazir by how he goes to join the Philistines. His parents do not get it. So one of the things we learn from here is that um, this is true of everything. That everything's from Hashem. And a lot of times we don't get it. We don't get it. So we just have to, you know, have faith. And uh, here we see that there's a lot of emphasis, and I want you to notice this, is that he is actually following his eyes. It says at the beginning, he sees a woman. And then it says, I saw a girl. And then he says, oh, she's straight in my eyes. A lot of this is about what he sees. So the first signal for us is that there's a, an issue here is because we know from the Shema, you should not go astray after your eyes. There's a problem with his going after his eyes. And that's going to be an issue. But the problem 
of marrying a Philistine woman, that's not the problem. That's from God. So the whole way that he operates, which we're going to see, the whole way that he operates is from God. But once he's made this, you know, uh, somebody's not needing. So uh, once he's made this decision that he's going to go and infiltrate, so to speak, the Plishti culture, the problem is that he does go after his eyes. So it's not just, I'm going to marry a Philistine woman and I'm going to mess them around. It's, I'm going to marry a Philistine woman who, I like the way she looks. She's good looking. She's a hottie. So that's, that's going to be the problem. Okay, that's okay. Okay, and Shimshon goes down with his mother and his father to Timnata, Timna, whatever it is. And you know that at this point in time, they've come to the uh, decision that they're going to go along with him, right? The parents. They don't know what's going on here, but his intention is to bring them there and to you know, be Megaya her, put her in the mikvah, whatever he has to do with her. So his parents are going with him. And they come to Karmei Timnata, right? And by the way, I just wanna mention that since we're talking about this whole idea of um, marrying women who are converting, is <coughs> the attitude of the rabbis today is very different than it used to be, because we assume that everyone who is not, um, who is intermarrying, is intermarrying because they are a Tinoch Shanishba. They're like a child who is captured and taken in captivity. They don't know any better. So the attitude of the rabbis is to keep, keep these people close and, and, you know, perhaps they will, you know, come, come back or the, the, the non-Jewish spouse will become interested. And I've seen many, many of these cases. So that, that's the attitude today, just as a, an aside. In any event, they go to Timna, they come to Karmi Timnata, <coughs> and behold, a young lion is roaring toward him. So the first question we have to ask here is, wasn't he going down with his parents? going down with his parents, okay? And Mitsuda says he was alone, but he was going down with his parents. And Hashem. this is the first time and not the last time that we see that Shimshon is inspired by the spirit of God, right? And he grabs that lion and he splits him in half as if it was a young kid, I actually don't know how one could split a young kid, but okay. But certainly would be easier than splitting a lion in half, right? Uma, uma in biado. There was nothing in his hand. Pasik Bav is the first time that we see the intense power and the greatness that Shimshon is given, that he could take a lion and kill it with his bare hands. And then below he gives Labibri Moetashara side, doesn't tell his parents what he did. Okay, so that's a very interesting one. Why doesn't he tell his parents? But the first question you have to answer is where were they? Where were they? I actually found this fascinating because <coughs> I looked at him in Farsham trying to find it. Someone who discusses that, how come he 
he's alone. He starts out with them and then he's alone. And, and I see this in the Malbim. Now the Malbim is relatively new, it's like the 1850s. So how, how come? I, I actually was told that the Vilna Gaon also came up with this in the 1700s, but it seems quite clear. Where did they go? They came to Karme Timnasa. They came to the vineyards of Timna. So the Malbim says, right? Apparently, these were the days of the grape harvest. And when they came in the path of the vineyards, <coughs> Shimishon twisted his path. He went a roundabout way that we learn that a, tell, and this is in Aramaic, we tell a Nazir, go around, go around, don't go near a vineyard. And that's when he was alone. And that's when the lion came after him. So very, very, uh, I actually found this like a fascinating mob in, in Vilnagon. Like it's so, it, it's such a, makes so much sense that it's a, a kind of, I was surprised that earlier commentaries hadn't said that. Maybe they thought it, and they thought it was obvious. But that's what's going on here. So the lion comes roaring at him. He kills the lion, Pasukvav, he tears it apart. So was his father no longer a Nazir? His father's not a Nazir. He's a Nazir. His mother was a Nazir. a Nazir at the beginning. His mother was a Nazir only when he was in utero. Because it was for him. Like once Shimshon was born, she was having her wine, man. Like, you know, like the girls today, they run for the sushi as soon as they give birth. <laughs> um, okay. So... He doesn't tell his parents, and that's an interesting thing. Why doesn't he tell them? So there are a number of, of, of reasons that are proposed. Maybe he was very modest. Maybe he didn't think it was a big deal. Maybe he didn't want it to get out that he had this like superpower. It's a strange thing, right? It, it seems like he, he, he doesn't know what to do with that, but he just did this amazing Superman shtick, and like, he doesn't say anything about it. <laughs> now he goes down and talks to her and she's straight in his eyes again straight in his eyes so he hasn't spoken to her till now which is kind of shocking but he liked the way she looks and now he likes the way he talks to her and and it's it, all systems go and he went back after a time. So miyamim usually means a year from days. So this is period of engagement. They met, they talked. I call there. She's doing her conversion studies. And he goes down for the wedding. And he turns aside to go see the carcass of the lion. So there's a number of just different opinions on this, but it seems the Malbim says that he wanted to make a bracha. We have a bracha that we make, and this is something that we should learn. We have a bracha that <coughs> when a miracle happens to you, if you pass the place where the miracle happens, you make a bracha and you say, So it seems that he's going there to make this bracha. And my, my father's a front of bracha used to make this bracha at a certain point uh, where he had uh, uh, been saved. Um, long story, but anyway. And when he gets to the carcass of the lion- It was a car, it was a, the site of a 
near miss car accidents. Right. <coughs> in any event, in the carcass of the lion, go see it because it's a strange and wondrous thing. And he's going to make this bracha and he's going to thank God for the miracle that happened to him. And he sees in the carcass of the lion, there's probably just bones left after all this time. There's a beehive. There's a, uh, a whole uh, situation with bees and honey. And he takes it, Pasuk by Yirdeyu al-Kapab. Now the, the, the verb rada is to scrape off, like you scrape something out. So he's scraping out honey into his palms. By And he goes eating the honey as he walks. Look at the honey as he goes along. By Elimo. By He goes to meet his parents who are with him, but he has stepped aside again. And he gives them the honey. When they're eating the honey also. And he doesn't tell them that he scraped the honey out of a dead lion, which kind of would take away their appetite, I think, even for honey. But um, it, it seems the Barmel talks about the symbolism of the lion. So when the lion comes jumping at him and he kills it, that might be a symbol that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is giving him the strength to overpower his enemies. But the honey in the lion is something sweet and something tameh. So there's kind of a hint there, there Barbanel says, there's a kind of a hint there that um, there's something sweet about this pushy woman, but she's tameh. And uh, the question of, you know, eating the honey from an impure source, that's also an interesting discussion, but <clears throat> there are different opinions about that. And his went down, his father went down to the woman to make up the wedding. And they made there for Shimshon a party because that's what the young men do. And when they saw Shimshon coming, they took 30 young men, groomsmen, and they were with him. Mereim is an expression for friends from Reha Kamoha, but it's, it's, a, it's a loaded name for friends. And um, <clears throat> there's going to be a wedding party, and he needs to have some companions. And since he doesn't have any Philistine friends. We'll find some for him. I will riddle you a riddle. Shimshon says to him, I'm going to make a riddle for you. If I make you, I will riddle you a riddle. This is so strange coming in the middle of, you know, we don't see this sort of thing usually in Tanakh, but apparently this was a minhag at that time <clears throat> as a party entertainment. I'll give you a riddle. Now, if you can tell me the answer to the riddle in the seven days of the party, umatatam, and you find it, I will give you 30 sheets and 30 um, suits, okay? A sadin in modern Hebrew is a sheet. So some kind of linen thing that you, you wrap yourself in. And a khalifa, because even today, a khalifa is a suit. 
So this is like a lot, you know, in those days, right, to give a person, you know, a, a, a suit of clothing and, <coughs> and a suit of bedding, that's a lot. So he's offering them something. Now, it's also not such an even deal because if he loses this fiddle, he has to give 30 suits and 30 sheets. But if they get the riddle, they each only have to give one. So that's part number one. But you'd give them. But if you don't get my riddle, <coughs> you have to give me 30 sheets and 30 suits. Riddle your riddle and we'll hear it. Their game. Well, let's go ahead with the riddle. And he said to them, this is the riddle, from the eater came out food, and from strong came out sweet. And three days they're racking their brains and they cannot get an answer to this riddle. So let's examine the riddle for a minute. <clears throat> so we all know the answer because we've been hanging out with Shimshon, right? From strong came from out honey, right? right? From strong came out sweet, from the lion came out honey. From the devourer comes out food. So really he's talking about this experience that he had of finding honey in the carcass of the lion, right? How fair is this riddle? I mean, we could fetch that out from something that is usually a predator, some food comes out. So that's actually, we can find some sort of something for that. But from the strong comes sweet. How, how do we answer that? How do, we have no clue. This is not a fair riddle. How would they know the answer to this riddle? Now, the Malbin maintains that when he says, right, back in Pasuk, you'd bet, if you could tell me the answer to the riddle for the seven days of the party, umitzatem, umitzatem, and you find it. The only way they can answer the riddle is if they go looking. If they look around the town and they find that dead lion with the honey in it. So the Malbin maintains that Shimshon is giving them a hint but they're racking their brains for three days and they have no clue. They have no clue. So the idea is he's giving them something that they can't answer. They really can't answer. What's in his mind? So we have to examine him and his thought processes, right? He's marrying this Philistine girl because it's a toa now. He's starting up. He's starting up. So let's say they can't get the riddle. They don't understand it right? They can't get it. So then they're going to be mad at him and then there'll be a fight. And if they fight with him, because he's Superman, right? So he can kill all of them. And then what do they say? The Jews did it? No, it's that lunatic Shimshon who did it because he's a nutcase and he started this riddle 
and we had a big fight with him. And so he killed people. In other words, what he's doing, and this is clear because this is the way it pans out, you'll see in the, <clears throat> in the next chapter becomes very clear. <clears throat> he can't lose at this game. If they guess the riddle, he can get angry and say, you cheated, and then he can fight with them. And if they don't get the riddle, they'll get angry and then he'll fight with them. So it's a win-win for Shimshon. He's gonna fight with them. And at the end of the story, they're gonna say, that crazy Shimshon, look what he did to us. And it's not a Jewish thing. So what Shimshon is doing here is he's deflecting all of the Plishti anger from the Jewish people. And he's actually operating on his own and saving the Jews they don't even know it. The Jews don't even know what's going on with him. It's just when they, when you stand on the side, they say, well, what is he doing? He is supposed to be <coughs> a holy person. How is he getting involved with this Pashti woman? What's going on here? And the answer to the question is, he's operating in his way to, to uh, achieve the goals of fighting with the Philistines in order to make sure that there is no reflection on the Jewish people at a whole, and he's as a whole, and he's protecting his brothers and sisters, which is really very interesting. The only problem here is that he's slightly corrupted the the goal, the spiritual and great goal, by Dafka picking a girl based on how um, he's attracted to her. This becomes a problem. <coughs> So now you hear the riddle and you see that unless they go looking and find the lion, they're never going to guess it. So for three days, they're banging their heads against the wall and they don't have any clue. Okay. They come to this plishti girl, who we don't know her name, on the seventh day, and they say to her, to the wife of Shimshon, seduce your husband, cajole him, convince him to tell us the riddle, or we're going to burn you and the house of your father in fire. Did you come here to take over all our property? They are hopping mad, and they are threatening her with murder. And one of the things that we have to pay attention to with all the stories in Shoftim is the tre tremendously violent and immoral behavior of our enemies. The Torah is giving us these, these uh, directions so that we learn. It's not for nothing that um, we are supposed to stay away from these people. They are perverse, and we see more and more of this. By the way, the seven days of the party, so we have a problem. First of all, some sources say this is the, uh, <clears throat> this is where we learn Shevabrachas, the idea of Shevabrachas, because there's seven days of party. On the other hand, we see that already with Yaakov and Lava, the seven days, complete the seven days of party with Leah, and then you can marry Rocha. So it's, it seems to have been a generally accepted custom to have seven days of party at a wedding. But what's going on here? Because Paschal tells us that they couldn't tell the riddle for three days. On the seventh day, they come to the wife of Shimshon and say, you, you better, you better find out this story or we're going to kill you, right? It's mafia style. This is not about, you know, we don't want to give you all our money. 
<coughs> they're, they're very resentful and very angry. But there's a strange thing here. What is the seventh day? Okay, now I'll show you the rest of this section and you'll see how this works out. So she's petrified. And I think even though she is not a sterling character, we can sympathize with the fact that she's under threat of death for her and her whole family. And so that's not a good position to be in. And the wife of Shimshon cried to him. You hate me. You don't love me. Where have we heard these words before? You made a riddle to my people and you didn't tell me. Right? So you see the classic womenly wiles. She comes out with it. She's like, you don't love me. You hate me. You didn't tell me anything. Right? And notice where her loyalties lie because it's very critical. She says, you made a riddle live. Oh, didn't, didn't you convert to Judaism? You made a riddle to my, the sons of my nation. She is a loyal Philistine. Let's face it. This conversion is, uh, yeah, not worth too much. How come you didn't tell me you told a riddle? And she's crying. In a brilliant display of tact, he says to her, I didn't tell my mother and father, I'm going to tell you. This is like a lesson on what you don't say to your wife. <laughs> what? <laughs> the most tactless answer you can think of. I didn't tell my parents I'm going to tell you. This is just, it's, it's just so off. Like Shimshon, what are you thinking? How is she going to take that? In other words, he's clearly telling her that his parents take, prior, that his parents take priority over her. If I told anyone, I tell my parents, I'm going to tell you. So, like, this is just completely out of line. Things that you do not. So, listen, if you want to get a life lesson here, do not speak. Be tactful with your spouse. And don't put your parents in the middle of it. Do not. Bring the in-laws in. Okay? And she cried on him for seven days of the party. What, what is going on here? They only threatened her after three days of not knowing it. And on the seventh day, they said, you better find out for us. And she cries for seven days. So what's happening here? All right. <coughs> so before we get to this um, conclusion, uh, there's a very, very brilliant chazal here. You look at Rashi on Tetvav. Right? Rashi says, it doesn't make sense because really, if the Philistines couldn't figure out for the three days, then the next word should be, and it was on the fourth day that they said, you better find out what happened. But it says on the seventh day, right? So Rashi says, the seventh day of the week, Shabbos, right? Below Shvila not the seventh day of the party but it was the fourth day of the party. So what is up with that? And the Alshech says, Shimshon left for Shabbos. He didn't want to be with Philistines for Shabbos. 
Shamor it's Yom HaShabbos. Sochos Yom HaShabbos. Shemeshom says, I can't hang out with these with these people for Shabbos, and he leaves. And that's why she's alone, and that's why they can get her alone to threaten her. Because personally, I would think that if Shimshon was hanging around with her, it would not be a good time to threaten her, especially he probably looked pretty macho, not just was macho. And so what did we do with this? She cried for seven days, right? So it seems that she cried for seven days for herself. <coughs> she was hurt and insulted that he didn't tell her and she wanted to know for herself. The pressure went up on the fourth day, which was Shabbos because he wasn't there. They threatened her, said, we're gonna kill you if you don't find out. So then she, she um, you know, escalated her pressure on him, right? And she cried on him, On the seventh day, he couldn't take it anymore. And he told her, because she pestered him, she pressured him, right? And we can just use our imaginations with how she pressured him, right? It seems that she, you know, uh, left him or didn't want to be with him or she just, uh, you know, cries and cries. And finally, he gives in by Yagedla, he tells her. And right away she runs. And the Pasuk emphasizes that it is indeed the sons of her nation. So she betrays him, tells them the riddle. And... Um, so we learned from here a couple of things. Shimshon may be very, very strong, but he's also very weak. He cannot resist women. This is part of the whole um, physicality of him, which is the, the paradox of this person who is supposed to be so spiritual, who is so spiritual, but the fact that he gets all this amazing power gives him a tremendous amount of physicality, which is a, a problem for him. And so he, he can't resist certain temptations. And this is going to be a very big problem with him. But in the meantime, <clears throat> the people of the city come to hit, say to him on the seventh day before the sunset. In other words, I guess that, that was the, the deadline. You have the seven days until the sunset of the seventh day. And they come to him and they say, Mama tok midvash. What's sweeter than hungry, than honey? What's stronger than a lion? Perhaps, perhaps they're saying, right, um, <clears throat> they want to give him an idea that maybe it shouldn't be so obvious that she told them so they say, well, the sweetest thing is honey and the strongest thing is a lion. But it's it's not, it's fakfetch because why would you ever think that honey comes out of a lion? In fact, it's a very rare phenomenon. It doesn't seem like a normal place for uh, bees to make a beehive. And Shimshon is not stupid. If you had not plowed with my calf, you would not have found my riddle which means he knows good and well that she told him. <clears throat>
because it was right after he told her, they told him. So he knows that she is the, the, the reason that they know the answer. So we have a problem here. What is this Egla stuff? If you had not plowed with my calf. So the Chazal say basically that an Egla is an affectionate term. And in fact, David Amelech has a wife named Egla and they say that actually was Michal. And there is some sort of, you know, affectionate term there, the, my little calf. I once saw this like funny thing, you may call a woman a kitten, but you may never call her a cat. You may call her a cat, but you may never call her a cow. It was a whole series of these. It was actually very funny. Most of the ones I remember. But um, there's also plowing with my calf definitely has some sexual innuendo. And he's kind of hinting that she has betrayed him, not just with the riddle, but in other ways as well. So this is a, uh, a very... Um, a, a bad scenario for him. Pasikitet, once again, the spirit of God comes upon him, and he goes down to Ashkelon. Here's our, our map. From Timna to Ashkelon is quite a distance in those days, certainly. Even today, <clears throat> it's a distance, right? He goes down to Ashkelon. He finds 30 men and he kills them. Yeah, and he takes their clothes. I'm sorry, <laughs> quite amusing. Uh, listen, I gotta give 30 suits, so I'll give them. Uh, I, he takes these anonymous men and he kills them. And he, and he gives it to the, the tellers of the riddle. So it's sort of, what, what is he doing here? He's saying, you cheated and I'm also cheating. I'm not going to go out and buy you new clothes. I'm going to give you clothes from these dead men. Uh, for here, it's a very interesting discussion, which we don't have time for, but how is he allowed to kill these people? But again, it's all part of protecting the Jewish people. So he's killing them in order to save the Jewish people. But he's upset. And he's very angry, and he goes to the house of his father. Now, again, you see that his whole plot is to fight with them. So he fights with them and he kills them. And this is not reflecting on the Jews at all because, you know, it's, it's you know, a chip shown like thing. He got mad at them and he just killed some random people so he could pay off his debt. And, and nobody knows. And he gets angry and he goes home. So what do we make of that? Did he go home permanently? Did he go home? He had a fight with her and he left. But what does she make of it? She goes off into the sunset with one of those 30 guys. See ya. And that is, again, another sign of the depravity of the Philistines that, that there's a whole marriage, there's a whole, you know, wedding. And, you know, when he walks away, they just, you know, he just, she just goes off with someone else. So that's the amount of loyalty that she has to him. She certainly betrayed him in, in many ways. And this is, of course, foreshadowing of later events in Shimshon's life. We see already twice that God is with him. He gets inspired, the spirit of God, and he does these amazing feats. And there's a uh, a paradox to his character because he is close with God, 
God appears to him, God helps him. And on the, on the other hand, he has these um, temptations that he has a lot of problems with. So uh, it's, a, it's a complicated story, but you see that there's definitely a method to his madness. And um, you learn a lot of lessons here. And the chief among them is be careful who you marry and be careful what you say to the person you marry. But there's many other lessons. Okay, um, I'm going to stop the screen share. So, any questions? Hello, if you have a question, you could unmute yourself. Uh, I have a question, Reverend Sharon. Hi. Hi I don't. I don't get this whole riddle thing. I don't understand what was the point of it. Like, it just seems very silly, almost. It's just like, hey, people, uh, let me show you how I have power over you. I'm going to make up a riddle that doesn't make any sense. And then you're just expected to oblige. Like, yes. it's like, it's like really strange. Well, the Mepharshim seem to say that this was a custom this was a custom of the, um, at the time that this was one of the entertainments that they had for the party. You know, they, they didn't have Netflix, you know? <laughs> so this is But for Shipshone, for them, it's just like a challenge. Can we figure this out? But for Shipshone, uh -huh. it's like I said, either way he wins. If they get the riddle, he can get angry. If they don't get the riddle, he can get angry. His point is to fight with them. He's taking the role of a kind of a spy, a Jewish spy, like a, a, a double agent. He, he plays as if he's disaffected from his people. He's left his family. He's intermarried with the Philistines. And now I'm one of the Philistines. But now if I have a fight with Philistines, it has nothing to do with Jews. It's just because, you know, I don't get along with these particular guys who, you know, because of this riddle. And this is, this is gonna keep playing itself out because he keeps saying, that he's fighting with these people because you know he's just you know belligerent, but it, this is just an excuse. But the, the brilliance of it is that it's coming out of this miracle. You know, we see that the, there's a symbolism to it. You know, uh, something sweet coming out of something impure. So mm. There is this. That's that's those women that he gets involved with. They're sweet, but they're impure. So there's a lot of a lot of symbolism that he should be picking up on when he sees the honey in the carcass, he should be saying, oh, what is, what is God trying to tell me here? But he, he uses it for this, you know, a pretext to fight with them, toana. The toana is the pretext. He uses it for that, but he misses the, the musr, the musr that's in this event also, that's also coming to him. He doesn't, he doesn't have that. The fact that he, he kills the lion is a, a symbol of his, his power over his enemies. But the honey coming from the lion is like a hint that it's not a good thing. What you're doing is not a good thing. There's something off here. But he doesn't pick up on that. But he does use it for this pretext. Now it's a pretext. It seems silly, but it's very effective. Now he's got a big fight. He killed 30 Philistines. And it's just going to take off from there, right? Because you know, now they gave, they gave away his wife. So the next chapter, we're gonna see how, how that's another excuse. His wife went off with someone else. Oh, now another you know, chance to fight with the Philistines.
So this is his whole method. He is the snake who bites the hooves of the horse and knocks the horse down backwards. He's not an ordinary judge. He's not an ordinary Jewish leader. Whole different type. It's a strange story, but you know, it's it's um it's also a, a window into how God runs the world because many times we see Jewish history different scenarios playing themselves out. They're not always so straightforward. You sometimes find, you know that our enemies are vanquished by some roundabout situation that had nothing to do with anything that we would have thought of. So. Rabbit and Sharon, can I ask a question? Yeah, who's that? Yeah, yeah. Yes, some of you might know me, know, might know me as Natalie, but I go by Al these days. <laughs> um, anyways, my question is, I wonder how it's, a, it's very contradictory how Hashem is with Shimshon, but he's involved with women and with violence and with, um, uh, he goes after his eyes, he marries uh, somebody that is not Jewish and he, she converted. But, so I'm wondering how does that make sense that Hashem is, is with Shimshon uh, through all of this? He, he fights with his passions all the time. So how does that make sense that Hashem is so close to him? Maybe because of that. <laughs> I don't know. It's so interesting because, you know, the Midrash says that Yaakov, when Yaakov foresaw Shimshon's life, he thought Shimshon would be Mashiach. Shimshon does amazing things. <coughs> and he's, he is a great a great person. So, you know, in, in, in many stories of like superheroes, they have, you know, Achilles has the heel, Superman has the kryptonite, Shimshon has the women. He's, he's a very, very great hero. He's a great Jewish hero. He'll do anything to protect the Jews, as we'll see in the next chapters. But he has a weakness for women. It's, it's, that, it's that kryptonite that is a problem. And it's, it's, a, it's a sad story in many ways. You know, I always find Shimshon, when I'm teaching Shimshon, I always want to say, Shimshon, don't tell her. Don't tell her. <laughs> Every time he keeps telling her. It's like when they sell Yosef. Every year he gets to the parches of Yosef. Don't do that. This is, this is, there are so many lessons to be gained from these stories because they're fascinating stories, because they're so complex. So we're supposed to walk away and say, what, what's going on here? What does the Kaddish Baruch Hu want us to conclude here? He wants us to see that there are all kinds of Jews, there are all kinds of enemies, and we have to open our eyes to see what's coming from Hashem. And we have to have faith that even if it, it surprises us and even if something is difficult for us that it's it's all it's all mashemi so it's a it's an amuna thing we all get a lot out of these stories they're just they're not it's not straightforward we've broken the cycle with yiftach we broke the cycle first because yiftach didn't follow the general there's no, there's no peace after yiftach 
But the Shimsha, we completely, we, we threw out the mold of the judges. We just stick it in a new, it's a whole new parsha. What do we do with this guy? And yet, and yet he's a Jewish hero. And we'll see in the next chapters, the great things that he does and the things that he does for Jewish people, it's quite astounding. He's really is a Jewish hero. But he's, um, he's got his, his weakness. Like I always think of him as very strong and very weak. Yeah. What's interesting is that Hashem's, uh, he has this, a sort of Ruach HaKadosh, like uh, not like, he doesn't speak with Hashem, but Hashem. Hashem inspires him. Inspires him, even though he has this weakness. It's interesting. You know, uh, Hashem sees all the different aspects of people. Hashem doesn't just see the weaknesses. He sees the greatness. And um, the whole idea of his being Nazir is to protect him as much as possible. If he wasn't Nazir, it would be difficult to see how this would, you know, this would be possible. He's still so unusual. Um, yeah. I just Thank like you. think for that the reaction to of the parents to the intermarriage. Like the classic <laughs> line. And you find a nice Jewish girl. Uh, okay, ladies. A conundrum. We'll learn more about Shibshon and things uh, Things are very interesting with him. We will find out 